0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke, chapter 20, and verse 20. We're still in our, um, what's this, Holy Irritations passage, okay? So we're still in Luke here, um, we're going to be reading verses 20 through 26 this morning. Short little passage, but there's some cool stuff we're just going to run through, um, and try to apply this to us, um, but let me ask you this question. You ever get swayed? Right? Like if somebody says, the Cowboys stink. Right? Where's the Garcias? <laughs> All right. Um, you can get swayed, right? Joe, the Chiefs, if I were to say the Chiefs stink. Super you, you <laughs> See? <laughs> We can get swayed really easy. I know if, if you want to ever get me distracted, and I never get distracted. Uh, I do better now than, than when I was younger. But if you ever want to distract me, talk about cars, right? Talk about music. Talk about obscure Bible passages. And it doesn't matter what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm, I'll, I'll go right there with you. I can get swayed. But there's all kinds of people today that are trying to get us swayed. When I read through the Gospels when I was younger, I would see Jesus not get swayed. And it was amazing. And I was like, okay, i got to figure out how to do that. How is it that he, he has all these people coming after him, trying to get his mind to change, and he never does. He never does. He never skips a beat. They never, they never sway him. They never get him off track. But today we see a lot of people getting swayed. You know, there's, it's the political season. Yay. You Have a bunch of people trying to get reelected. Yay. I mean, that's their number one job, right? Is to get reelected. So they're going to try and sway you in two different ways. They're going to try and say, okay, this is why I'm the best candidate and the only candidate that you should vote for, and this person over here is worthless, right? It's not just, I don't agree with them. It's no, no, no. They're not even, they shouldn't be on the ballot. read this morning that um, a Florida senator is trying to get um, Cruz, if he becomes president, say no, because he was born in Canada, even though his parents... Are American and they're, they're just trying so hard to sway you and to, to to get you to take your eyes off of what's really important. We have a couple of these examples with the with what's going on right now. You know, Ben Carson. What a squeaky clean guy, right? I mean, he's a real nice guy. They say he didn't go, he didn't apply to West Point, so that makes him a liar, even though he said he was offered a full ride to West Point. Well, everybody gets a full ride to West Point, don't they? Isn't it paid for anyways? Right. But he didn't apply, so he's a liar. You can't believe anything that he says, right? And then for Hillary Clinton, they try and sway you. I mean, she can't be all bad, right? <laughs> Nobody's all bad. Oh, but what about Benghazi, Whitewater, email servers, right? Also, she's completely discredited. The news will try and and political parties will try and say she's absolutely unvotable. Bernie Sanders. I haven't figured him out yet. Now, I'm not allowed to give any recommendations for anybody. I'm just talking about what's going on in the news, right? They call him a socialist. He's pretty smart. He says, yes. I am. A democratic socialist. Oh, okay. So see how they're trying to mix words around? Because they're pros at it. What about Donald Trump? They're trying to discredit. He doesn't need any help. He's a loose cannon. He can afford to be. It it works for him, right? But they're going to try and sway you. They're going to try and get you off course. They're going to try and get your focus off the things of God and put it on the things of man. You guys see, um, and we do get worked. We Christians can really get worked up over stuff. The Starbucks cups. (laughs) My goodness. I don't know about you, but I don't need Starbucks to usher in Christmas for me. Unless they can fill that cup with communion grape juice, I'm not going to make a connection between Starbucks and church, okay? And you see the, uh, there's the latest rage. Hopefully you guys haven't heard this, and I can, this can be breaking news. But the most horrible thing happened. The Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Company, oh man, some of you already heard. They tried to release Christmas tree peanut butter cups. Have you seen it? They look like something disgusting you would find in your yard after your neighbor's dog has made a trip in and out. They don't look like Christmas trees, and people are enraged. They're taking to Twitter. That's what they say. They're taking to Twitter. It's like, really? It's a peanut butter cup. How do we get so worked up over such minuscule things? Maybe I'm not the only one who gets distracted easily. So as we're looking here in Luke chapter 20, we're going to watch how Jesus doesn't get swayed. He doesn't get distracted. But I want to take us back to a couple passages that we've gone over and get us into the context. So remember, we've been painting a picture showing you that on Sunday, Jesus had his triumphal entry, right? Then Monday, he goes into the temple and there's slot machines, you know, and there's pinball machines. and No, there's people making money there unnecessarily, right? And they've turned God's house into a den of robbers instead of it being a house of prayer. They go, he goes in and he flips tables. He cracks whips. He runs people out. There's money everywhere. There's animals flying off. Now, remember, he was a carpenter, but in Jesus' time, they didn't have a lot of wood to work with. So those tables were like stone. So you could basically say that Jesus was a mason. And he walks in and grabs these tables and flips them. Then he sits down and he starts teaching. He doesn't, you know, they've got to be furious with him. But he sits down and he teaches. He doesn't go anywhere. It's his temple. Amen? So then they start sending in people to talk to him and ask him some questions. The Jewish leaders of that day were all divided against themselves. You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers, the scribes, the experts of the law, the chief priests, the other priests, and they argued. They had gotten to the point, kind of sounds like denominational, denominations within the Christian community, where we get so smart about, we think we're so smart about God that we just start fighting with each other, and we lose sight of what's going on. And the same thing had happened then, where all those different groups were trying to get the, 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 the attention and have the popularity among the Jews and they were fighting. And it was annoying to the the Roman government. Rome had been spreading their kingdom and they were they were conquering all these different areas so much so that they couldn't afford it. So they began to tax people. And the tax really wasn't all that huge back then. But there was this tension between Rome and the Jewish people. Because Rome Rome didn't care. But I find it funny that they actually allowed the Jews to maintain Jewishness. There had been some previous rulers that didn't let them do that. They made it illegal to be Jewish, where they'd have to hide off in caves and, and practice the Sabbath for fear of execution. If they caught somebody doing the Sabbath, previous leaders, if they caught anybody observing the Sabbath, they would execute them on the spot. So it was, it was kind of wild that they allowed them to live as Jews, in Judea. But the Jews are scared because they still had to keep peace with Rome and if they got in any trouble, if they had any insurrections, if they had you know, people revolting or protesting in the streets, Rome would hear about it and they just go in and wipe them clean. So they, there was this tension and Jesus comes in and he starts stirring the pot. And they start accusing him of all kinds of stuff because... He's going to mess up what they're doing. So imagine him flipping those tables and he's sitting there teaching and people are listening to him. They're hanging on every single word that he says. And no matter what they try to do, they just can't beat him. But they're getting mad. Imagine if somebody were right outside and they knocked over our little coffee table and then they sat down and started teaching that everything that we do on Sunday morning is a sham. I'd be personally offended. I like the songs that we do, you know? I like all you guys. I like the fact that we don't have to dress up, but if we want to dress up, we can. But what if somebody came in and did that and sat here? Ron and Joey and Clifton and I would conspire to put him to death. No. (laughs) That's what's going on. Why were the Jews trying to kill Jesus? He told them the truth. In Luke 4, he's in his hometown. He reads a prophecy about himself. He says, today in this reading, it has been fulfilled. Boom. Drops the microphone and has a seat. And then he starts trash talking the old Jewish prophets. Saying that those guys were nothing. They grab him. They run him to the edge of town on a cliff to throw him over. And he just disappears through the crowd. So even back then, in Luke 4, they were trying to kill him. He called the Jewish leaders out. Nobody likes to be called out. In Luke 11, he gives the six woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you. Calls them whitewashed tombs. Says, yeah, on the outside you're pretty. On the inside you're full of death. They didn't like that too much. He cut off their money making in the temple and whenever you mess with somebody's money they don't like it. A little more context. How have they tried to catch him already? Luke 14 says he he was being carefully watched. He was challenged on a number of occasions about fasting because he didn't do it publicly in front of everyone. Healing on the Sabbath. They asked him about, could you, could you heal on the Sabbath? Or he asked them. He reaches over, grabs a guy, and heals him. Just to make a point. Just to stir him up a little bit. Washing hands. They come up to him. They notice he didn't even wash his hands before he ate. How petty, right? Paying the temple tax. Now this would have embarrassed a lot of Jewish leaders. He's in his own temple. It's his, Right? The third one is still his. It's all his. He's the son of God, right? And they ask Peter, doesn't your master, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter says, uh, yeah, yeah, he he does, but he hadn't. So Peter, who lied, I guess, ran back to Jesus and said, hey, uh, they're asking about the temple tax. Now imagine you're Jesus and you're thinking, this is my house, right? It's like you have a pizza party and you're asking everybody to donate two bucks and people are asking why you're not donating two bucks you're providing the house. You're providing the gas money. He's in his own house and they're wanting him to pay temple tax. So he says, You know, Peter, tell you what. They're still waiting out there for you to give them the, the, the money. Go to the edge of the lake, cast out a line, catch a fish, and the mouth of that fish will be a four drachma coin. Two for you, two for me, pay the tax. So Peter goes outside, he says, uh, come with me, I gotta get the money. It goes to the water's edge, catches a fish, opens its mouth, hands him the coins. Now they're probably getting irritated. They're like, this guy's just showing off. <laughs> Did he plant the fish out there? Did he put the, you know, fish is still squirming and wiggling? Is he some magician or something? I mean, he's embarrassing them right and left. And they've tried to catch him and they just can't. That leads up to this point here. Let's go to verse 20. We'll read through this. (coughs) Verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. So let's make some observations about these verses. Um, One thing that's really good to do when you're reading a passage, and I I find it really helpful, is read it slowly. Go through it once, read a couple times, a couple, three, where you get familiar with it, and just read through it slowly. I went through, I told the guys at the men's retreat this. um, I went through the book of Acts a while back, and I prayed to God and said, God, I don't want to go on to another verse until you've shown me something new from the verse that I'm reading. And that takes time. And there were some verses. I was getting a little frustrated. Was, I was the one who was holding us up, but uh, um, it was neat to watch God slowly show me what Acts was about. So let's do the same thing here. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies. Now, reading things in context, who who is they? If you go up to verse 19 in your Bible there, the teachers of the law and the chiefs, chief priests... Look for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So they sent spies, the teachers of the law and the chief priests sent spies. They tried to get him to say something where he would put his foot in his mouth. And see where it says, so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. Who was the governor? Pontius Pilate. He's a decent dude, but he meant business. He was a serious guy. If you look back in Luke 13, this is the same guy who was responsible for Galilean Jews' blood to be spilt and mixed with the blood of the the uh, the sacrifices in the temple. I mean, he was he really didn't have a lot of respect for the Jews, but they were willing to work with him. So verse 21, so the spies question him, but they start, you guys know anybody like this? He'll try and puff you up before they ask you something tricky. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. How do you puff up the son of God? How do you, how do you swell his head, right? You can't do it. And it's so funny that they try to. They say that he does not show partiality, right? But what are they trying to get him to do? Show partiality. I personally believe that they were scripted by the the Jewish leaders. They were told what to say. But man, this doesn't seem very smart. That's what they were trying to get him to do. Show partiality. Verse 22. I find something funny here. They say, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You notice that they didn't say, is it fair? Because then there could be a discussion, an open discussion. They didn't say, is it lawful? Because then he could go to the Old Testament and say, well, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says we have to give money to Caesar, right? They didn't ask if it's godly. They asked, is it right? So there's two possible answers. If he were to say, Yes, it is right, he would lose his popularity. We look in Luke 19 48, he was too popular to kill. If they were to kill Jesus, and they had they had gotten rid of and done away with previous Messiah wannabes, but if they had gotten rid of Jesus, he was so popular, it would have been nothing but trouble. But if Jesus had said No, it's not right to pay taxes. They would have gone straight to Pontius Pilate and said, this guy who's super popular, he's got the ear of just about everybody, especially in this holy week where there's all kinds of people coming into town. He's telling them it's not right to pay taxes to Caesar. He would have been immediately arrested. And we all know the rest of the story. We know that this is only Tuesday. Some other things have to happen before Jesus can be arrested. So he's, got a, he's at a, a crossroads. He's got God's timeline in mind, and he can't just say what he wants to say. So look at verse 23. Um, and M- Matthew 22 has the, uh, the same, same story in it, but the way Matthew recalls it, he responds to them and says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He calls them out because he can see through their duplicity. So in verse 24, Jesus asks for a denarius. Okay, that's about a day's worth of of money, a day's wages. Okay. Um, Joe, what what coins should he have asked for if they're a bunch of Jewish people? Yeah, Joe knows coins. He don't know diddly, but he knows coins. Um, But yeah, shekel. Now this is what I... By just chewing on this for a little bit, you can see just how smart Jesus is. He's tricking them. He asks for a Roman coin, not a Jewish coin. Oh, and they have one. So what does he do to them? He was showing them that they had already picked a side. So the tax collectors, what they would do is, Rome didn't want to have their treasury working on other people's currency. So what Rome did is they had these publican guys and they would bid and say, in my province, I think I can get this much taxes for Rome. The next guy says, I can get a little bit more for Rome. Another guy says, no, I can even get more. And Rome says, all right, you're our guy. You're our tax collector. And what he would do then, probably wouldn't collect everything that he wanted to get because he would, when the tax tax collectors of that day would get your taxes. They would pay themselves a little bit. And sometimes they would pay themselves unnecessarily, like Zacchaeus that we learned about a few weeks ago. And what they would also do is they would exchange the local currency for Roman currency. Okay? So here they are. They've already bought into the Roman way. They've already made their decision. They're holding Caesar's coin, complaining about Caesar wanting money. And I love that he turned it on them. In verse 25, he made them answer their own question. So here he goes. He's got them completely set up. He says, show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You remember being a kid and you grab something and somebody says, hey, that's mine. And what's your response? I don't see your name on it. Sometimes my kids will lick a cookie. One of them wanted an entire cheesecake the other day. He's like, I said, lick it, dude, it will be yours. So it's almost like a childish comeback. His name's on it. His face is on it. His words are on it. Verse 26, just a simple summary. They were unable to trap him. And this I find interesting, that they were astonished and silenced. What were they astonished for? They thought they had him. Because nobody likes to pay taxes. Nobody likes it. Everybody cares about taxes. Taxes. Right? Except the guy that sleeps underneath a tree using a rock as a pillow. They tried to trap a guy who really didn't care about all that. And they were astonished. They expected different results. And because they didn't get them, they were silenced. Ooh, I wish I could silence some people sometimes. (laughs) So what's the main point of this whole thing? As you read the Bible, and this is something that we're going to be taking you guys through um, with a Bible study method uh, in the future, is is looking and really digging into the details, find out what's going on, and then ask yourself, basically, who cares? What, what what, What does all this matter? What's the big picture here? What's the main point? Now, some would say it's about taxes. Some would say it's about the relationship between Rome and Israel, To me, as I look at this, I, I, I see that Jesus is basically letting them know, loud and clear, he belongs to God, and he cannot be swayed. He cannot be bought. He cannot be manipulated. Jesus belonged to God. And he wasn't going to do anything that would take him off the path that God had for him. Jesus belonged to God. Now, how do we apply this to to ourselves? Whose image is imprinted on you? Genesis 1 says, We are made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. Not only is His image imprinted on us, but His Son, ultimately, through God's love for us, did pay the price did give up what needed to be given up so that we could belong to God. And why is this important? Why is this important to know? Why is it important for us to make a connection with this? Jesus belonged to God, and he was on a mission from God. And if we are to belong to God, we need to get in the family of God, and we need to get into his mission. Ultimately, the mission that Jesus was on was to finalize, to complete the Old Testament way of living and to open up the family of God to everyone. We call that kingdom building. He came to bring a brand new kingdom. They they asked him time and time again when he was going to restore the earthly kingdom of the Jews. Even when he returned from the dead and walked around and hung out with them, you look in Acts chapter 1, They're asking him, Lord, now will you restore the earthly kingdom? He gets frustrated and bolts. His job, his mission on this earth was to begin and build God's earthly spiritual kingdom. And if we are to be, if we are to belong to God and be in that same mission as Jesus, then we need to be kingdom builders. That happens in the... Bunch of different ways for each and every one of us. Because we've all been given different gifts, different abilities, different drives. But we have those things because God wants us to use what he has given to us. What we have is not from ourselves, right? He wants us to use what he's given us to build his kingdom. There's nothing wrong with helping a guy in town build his personal kingdom. Nothing wrong with helping the world when it comes to whether it's politics, some guy's job, a business, the person you work for. Nothing wrong with those things. But I want to tell you this morning that we need to be more about the kingdom of God than the kingdom of man. And it's very easy for us to get distracted. It's very easy for us to get swayed in a certain direction where it seems like all we champion are politics and issues. It's tough. You can, you, and it seems like, anybody ever feel like, I just feel like I'm working to make another guy rich. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're doing more for the Lord. How familiar are you with sports? How familiar are you with cars? How familiar are you with politics, with your line of work? How familiar are you with history? That's great. But how familiar are you with God? I mean, if he's, if he's really captured my heart, if, he's really, if he really gave me his son, his one and only perfect son, how eager am I to know him and to put a smile on his face? If I really believe that God has saved me through the blood of his son, I need to be all about him. And if I happen to know a lot about cars and have a bunch of broken down, torn apart vehicles in my garage, I'm going to use my garage to share Jesus and try to help God build his kingdom, right? If I know a lot about numbers and accounting, I can look at my job and say, how do I use these abilities to benefit the kingdom, to build the kingdom, to fill a need that somebody else might not be able to fill? If you're not in the kingdom, if you're not God's, if you don't belong to God yet, talk to anybody in here. They'll point you to somebody Who can help you do that? Because you do have a purpose in the kingdom. And God doesn't want you to get swayed by all the commercials and the hashtags and the political speeches. He wants you to be swayed by his love. He wants you to be swayed by his mission for your life of helping him build the kingdom. Kingdom building isn't just something that Pastors do, and evangelists do, and missionaries do. Kingdom, is, kingdom building is something that we all do. Like I said, it starts with ourselves, being a part of the kingdom, being an active part of the kingdom, realizing what it is that God wants you to do without being swayed by all the crazy questions that are going on around you. It also happens in our homes and our families. If you need help sharing the Bible with your family, hey, let us know. There are all kinds of resources out there. How can we build the kingdom of the world in out in the world if, if we're not doing it in our own homes? It's tough. It's a daily job. And it's a privilege to do it. So let us help you do that within your homes. Your oikos, you know what we call the 8 to 15 people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life for you to influence for him, right? Who are those people? We hit on that a lot because it's the main goal. Kingdom building. Your friends, your coworkers, your family members, your next door neighbor, the person you run to into at the bank all the time, that there's just a connection there that you can sense and, and, and God's laying it on your heart to reach out to that person for Him. I want you to take some time if you have to schedule it this week, if you have to just say every time I drive to work and home, I'm going to contemplate on this, uh, this question this week. Whenever your quiet time is, meditate on, on this question What has gotten in the way of me fulfilling God's mission? If you don't have quiet time then, how about whenever you sit down to, your, to watch your television? Whenever you pull up Facebook or Pinterest or whatever, Instagram now, Facebook, I guess, isn't cool anymore. Whenever you feel yourself get worked up, whenever you feel yourself get swayed by somebody with what they've said or what they've done, ask yourself are these things getting me off mission? We're in the world. And we still interact with the world. We still love the world. We work with the world. But we don't pledge allegiance to this world, do we? We pledge allegiance to God. He has bought us. His image is on us. And He has a mission for all of us. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for Your Son, Jesus. Not only was He perfect, he was interesting too. Would you teach us to be more like him in our speech and how we interact with other people? And or when people do question us, when they do challenge us, would you give us your Holy Spirit to let us know what to say? Just like Jesus said he would, he would do. Allow us to, to say the things that are going to be what you would say if you were in that situation and not us. Thank you so much, Lord, for the example of Jesus. And thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for your image being on us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom and your mission and your family. And Father, thank you that you hear us even right now. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.